welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karam. Today, we're going to go through a coaching module. So if you're not familiar with how we set it up, we have four different curriculums, coaching, nutrition, movement, and training, all broken up into principles, practical, case study, and interview with a strength conditioning coach. Case study is featured on the module. So if you're a member of a PHP, PH curriculum, you'll actually see the actual case study. So if you have any interest in becoming a member, head over to phpodcast.com and you can see become a member. We got a promo half off your first month for our book release. So if you put in the code strength deficit, you'll save 50% off your first month and then it goes into the normal standard rate. Also, we have our book strength deficit now available for pre-order. If you go to the website phpodcast.com backslash shop, you'll see strength deficit right there. It's going to be a framework for leveraging eccentric and concentric ratios to really peak. And one of the examples we talk a lot about in that is working with football and track and field, but we get a lot of really good questions in the Ask Me Anything and any kind of a platform that people are trying to understand more about it. There's a lot of application and understanding how to leverage concentric or eccentric outcomes towards your setting. So if you guys have any interest in that, make sure you check out phpodcast.com backslash shop to get your pre-order there. Also comes with a copy of the Strength Deficit programs, the same programs I used at Army West Point in 2016 with our elite inside and outside the box group, aka trying to decrease the deficit for inside the box and then increase the deficit for outside the box. And that comes complimentary with your order of pre-order of strength deficit. Thank you guys. Hope you guys enjoy this module. I think this one's going to be a really, really powerful one for a lot of us. And we got a great interview with a strength coach here at the end with Neil Paduzzi. So let's strap up. Let's get ready to go. I think it's going to be a fun month. Well, we're back on coaching modules. For this one, we're going to go through ignorance and negligence. So for me, you know, I've been coaching now for this is my 18th year in strength conditioning. I started off as a high school coach, make my way through to volunteering, interning at a velocity sports performance. And then I went through several internships between Harvard Strength Conditioning, Georgia Tech, Old Miss. And then I finally got a GA and then a first time position at Georgia Tech. And one of the things that I would like to be transparent on is you know, through that time, I think I've had a sliding scale of self-confidence and self-assuredness. And one of the things that I think was really evident was that I thought I knew a lot more than I actually did. And actually within the module, I just reviewed a Dunning-Kruger effect, right? If you're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's essentially the less experience you have, the more you think you know. And the more experience you have, the less you think you know, right? So, you know, for instance, a, a nuclear physicist has been doing this for 50 years. In their first year, or their first year, they publish a thesis and become a doctorate in physics. They probably think they're a lot more knowledgeable than they actually are, and then they started coming around a lot less things that are explainable. And in strength and conditioning, and I think early on, what we come across is, is very polarizing, or people who are strongly convicted with what they think and what they do. And I think now we're actually seeing the second order of that hit the mainstream. And I'll go through that here and what that's actually created, the downstream effect as well as. But that young strength conditioning coach, for example, myself, that guy is out there going about his day-to-day thinking that he has a fairly good grasp of what's happening. 
And then as you progress through your field uh, profession, you start to see phenomenon or aspects that are just simply not explainable. And then over time, you become less assured with what you think you know. And your experience tells you that everything is on this scale of it depends. Right. Earlier in my career, probably would have said something definitive and absolute. And then now, whenever I get asked a question that wants a very specific and deliberate answer, it gets a very general maybe or maybe not. But regards to that, I think this kind of falls into some level of ignorance. And why I think that's the case is because you just simply don't realize what you don't know or what you actually do know. And the issue being from a perspective of, of what we're trying to accomplish with our athletes or clients, it really comes down to that we need to have an appreciation for the human body is a complex, meaning that there's no real definitive order or sequence to why it responds to certain things. It's all working off multivariate feedback loops, open systems that it procures energy from the outside world. So that has a massive influence on, on how and when and why we potentially metabolize energy substrates. And then the final part is it lives in a, in a, in a world or universe that's moving constantly towards chaos. So there's a, an increasing degree of entropy as we move through space and time that things are becoming more and more disorganized and not only in the outside world, but our bodies as well. So to say that we have any clear, definitive thing that was going to happen from what we do from an intervention without realization of all the multiple factors that are going to influence that person in a training day or training week or training month that we're just lying, you know. And one of the things that I want to go through with this module is how that potentially becomes problematic and how that potentially comes uh, an issue. And I want to give credit where credit's due. If you ever heard Mike Boyle talk, you know, he'll talk about could that hold up in the court of law? And this is what really started the concept in my mind of, well, why would someone do an exercise that's simply just asinine or doesn't make any sense? Like, I don't think anyone's going about trying to help someone with malicious intent to do some sort of exercise that is high risk. I don't think that's the case, but I don't think that's actually a good thing either that there's some sort of allowance to let people do exercises that are just simply contraindicated. And we can compare that, we'll compare this to medical practice here in a second. But, you know, the idea from Mike was if someone's doing an exercise that is high risk unnecessarily, is that defensible in a court of law? And he has a really funny example of. If you're trying to defend a certain exercise that caused irreplicable damage and you brought in a character witness that is an expert in the field and was asked, could you train that muscle group or that movement pattern in a similar way without as much risk, you're going to have a definitive absolutely. Right? So some of the examples he he talks about our sledgehammer against a tire, right? Like the assumption that, that a 14 year old athlete that can barely walk and tie his own shoes can take a 10 pounds, 10 pound sledgehammer and hit it against the tire without 
without any risk is just that's kind of silly and that's ignorance right that's this like dynamic of of we simply we simply just don't know the harm that's potentially there on the other end of the spectrum that person that's really really experienced but still chooses to do it knowing the the potential risk you know this is negligence and this is where the continuum really lies right and what it really comes down to is either you know or you don't know and you make the decision right so if i don't know and i still make the decision to do something that's contraindicated or or right it's ignorance right like it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong right this whole thing of like the what is right and wrong really dependent upon the outcome right so if if i choose to do sledgehammers and there's no direct harm and someone develops whatever the quality is I'm trying to do from that, then it was right. But that would be an ignorant decision based off. I didn't really know what was going to happen versus the person that actually does know and still chooses to do it. And either way, if it comes out good or bad, that would be negligence. So if I have an awareness or an understanding of what is right and wrong, then I'm going to have an issue with, someone's still choosing to do someone do something and when i look at this dynamic presenting itself in most practice you know you first got to ask yourself is that person know better or is that person really not know better and why would they choose to do that so i think this comes down again to you know one of the things in our educational system is there is a huge spectrum from people working within the industry, right? And our industry has a very low barrier of entry, good or bad, right? We have a lot of people with not much practical experience, not not much practical knowledge, not much, not much uh, actual education, uh, not much understanding of what is what is the actual like foundational principles of our of our industry from a biomechanical from a biomotor from a bioenergetic perspective and you know it begets people just doing stuff from anecdotal experience or from polarizing figures or things that are think that's going to attract new clients or make more money right the 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 stage of our our profession in the in the modern day with aspects of social media and and things that can influence in consumers or potential customers decisions is profound from a perspective of what influences the coaches and trainers and what they say or what they say they're going to do <clears throat> so as we start to break down that young coach is going to emulate or copy the version of a system that they feel like they can either have really good success with early or have a really profound level of impact financially, right? So if we see someone doing workouts or prescriptions that are outside the scope or outside the potential of what that person could do, but they feel like it's going to be a quick way to make some money or a quick way to get the attraction or the attention of others, they're going to go and do it regardless if it's the right thing. And this would be an example of ignorance that 
they don't know what the consequences of doing a high level program are with a young athlete or doing a, a high threshold workout or training program with a overstressed athlete or doing something that's reckless for someone who's rehabilitating. Uh, there's a lot of al- aspects of of just taking or cherry picking certain programs and applying it blindly without really any rationale to an audience or a athlete that's just not ready for it. And again, this comes back down to ignorance. They just, they don't know, but they do anyway. And, and as we start to go through that, right, and we're starting to go through the Mike's example of defending it in a court of law, you know, one of the aspects you want to look at is, does this person know better and is this an opportunity to learn? And whether that person wants to learn or not is really not the point of this. It's just a matter of if they didn't know, well, here's what you should have did anyway. And if they choose to do it again or choose to do it irregardless of what the actual understanding of the potential risk is, then it moves from that ignorant side of the equation into negligence. And that's where experience and people with more knowledge and insight start to shift gears and moving into this other realm or threshold to, you know, essentially like do things that they know they shouldn't do. And then therefore that would be negligent. And again, going back to Mike's court of law example is, did this person know better? Okay. Well, if they didn't know better, well, we probably should have a more formal educational system and a larger barrier of entry versus if they didn't know better, or if they did know better and they still did it, they should lose their licensure, right? That there's a risk, right? That certain certain aspects and certain exercises or certain protocols are just more risk than we need, right? If the goal was just to lose some weight and I'm doing fasted cardio with someone with a very complex supplemental protocol, and I'm doing something with a very high-risk cardiovascular focus with someone who's just overly stressed and overly uh, immune system compromised, and I'm just trying to just crash diet them, and they burn out or develop an eating disorder, Don't does, doesn't that have some sort of consequence? That the intent to help is overridden by the harm that was done? But when we have people who are unqualified and not capable of helping others, then we have to evaluate the the intent is overridden by the harm that was done. That there was a decision that was negligent and that person who put faith and trust into that coach or trainer was let down. That they did something that was on a, on a back end actually kind of productive. And as a profession right now, you know, if you read anything about the history of the medical uh, system, you know, and looking all the way back into the beginning of the 20th century, and some really, really cool biographies, like even someone like John Rockefeller, he talked a lot about his father was a, was actually a, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, um, a snake oil salesman, um, early origins of homeopathic remedies, uh, which, you know, I'm not trying to knock homeopath homeopathy, but you know, the, the idea in the 20th century, it was basically the more compelling salesperson was going to be the more uh, the more respected medical professional. And 
in twentieth century, you know, there's there's door to door salesmen or you know people traveling around with fairs and carnivals selling magic elixirs and the ones that were compelling and interesting enough and telling people that this is the answer. You know, if you're struggling with sleep, if you're struggling with stress, if if you have uh, a reoccurring illness that you simply can't get rid of, take this magic potion and you'll be fine. And over time, you know, even even to the point where uh, Rockefeller was talking about, he was still as an you know just a a hardened uh, believer in homeopathic remedies, deeply religious. But he's the person that started the actual you know laboratories that created the cure to polio, and invested a lot of money into University of Chicago. In fact, created it. Invested a lot of money into various other colleges. Look at Andrew Carnegie, you know, created Carnegie Mellon and created and put a lot of money into actual uh, research and various things. Looking as we progress through, you know, Ansel Keys comes around. uh, Dwight Eisenhower, Eisenhower, the president of the United States, has a couple heart attacks. They start to invest in cardiovascular research. So over time, the medical system becomes more and more and more structured and more and more deliberate with not everyone could just walk around and just start sell basically magic potions or doing unlicensed treatment. And it creates a scope of practice. And I feel like if we're going to look down the, down the, the kaleidoscope, down to the future of strength conditioning and performance training, that we're in this weird space right now that there's a huge influx of people who want to do it because the barrier of entry is so low. And, and I think the intent is good, <coughs> but the outcomes are potentially not. That when people have good intents and, and they do things that are bad, then we have a problem. That's not that's not good for the consumer. That's not good for people. Like right? Like I don't think well, it probably, but there's a lot of snake oil salesmen from the beginning of the twentieth century that Probably did want to help, I'm assuming. Maybe, I don't know. But maybe just want to make money. I, but the same thing true here at the beginning of the 21st century is when we look at what the intent is of what we're doing, good or bad, if the outcome is bad, then there should be some sort of, hey, you can't do this anymore. Or, hey, we ha- you have to go back and learn. You have to go actually through the process to learn this. We have to raise the barrier of entry. Like, there's no shortage of people wanting to do this. So why do we have such low standards in regards to allowing people to do this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I and I think it's the same thing with the medical practice. There's probably a lot of really good local shamans and and people helping others in their community, whether it was just from innate. Like, you look at it, something that's along the lines of, like, a, a midwife or – a doula, like the, these men and women are going around helping people deliver births and probably lowering the rate of, of, of pregnancy related deaths. And I think this is like a, a hand down tradition that stems back all the way to the beginning of time. And I, I think that's a practice that's good, but I think it's also an apprenticeship that should be placed in there. Like I don't want someone who's first ever time seeing someone giving pre- a birth is their first time they're doing a midwife experience with you know my family so i want to know that they have experience and knowledge and insight and formal training but with that being said as we start to transition to a more formalized educational structure 
creating some sort of actual barrier of entry. So we have we have less ignorant people in the beginning and they learn from people who are not negligent, then we have this construct that we can now get past this point of like the wild west of a performance training and strength conditioning and stop seeing silly things and people just making stuff up and and doing something that's hopefully like gonna get some more buys or clicks or whatever other value that they think they're getting from creating some sort of just silly concept that people would be attracted to and using anecdotal like i'm like being really super lean or good looking or really strong like i mean i some of these like tactics are as old as time you know read some of the old strength conditioning manuals and you'll feel like this sense this burning sensation of like am i being duped right now by the same marketing strategy i mean you can go all the way back to bob hoffman making up so what he the reason the whole premise of protein powder was there was a soy farmer next to him and he had a bunch of soy soy protein extract that he didn't know what to do with it and Bob started experimenting. I don't know him firsthand, but I'm going to just talk about him firsthand. Um, awful human being, by the way. Uh, apparently massively racist. And Okay, like I'll just go on a tangent on another direction. But he just started basically making protein powder in a cement mixer, putting some Hershey's chocolate, because Hershey's was right down the road, so York, Pennsylvania, Hershey's not too far away. Put some Hershey's chocolate powder in there, mixed with some soy protein from a local soy farmer that didn't know what to do with this excess. And started selling it through, uh, I think it was Muscle and Fitness Magazines. That was their publication. And like it, you know, the stuff that turned uh, all these great weightlifters at York Barbell, or Grimmick, Barnowski, uh, Kono, all these amazing guys, what turned them into world champions and championship bodybuilders was taking Bob Hoffman's protein powder and then using using a cause and effect relationship with the way someone looked. Like if you ever look up, uh, I believe his name is Grim. Uh, his last name is Grimmick, but he was a championship weightlifter and championship bodybuilders. Like these guys are like Renaissance men back in the day. And he would show a picture of him like snatching, you know, like uh, 120 kilos and then bodybuilding picture next to it. And then show him drinking a protein powder. And then Joe Weider did the same model with with his Matt publications and using Dave Draper and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these guys. But like the idea that this protein powder or a if you look through some with the advent of this stuff, like a Ronnie Coleman training program, I can tell you I've done it several times over myself as a as a young strength conditioning enthusiast, you know, like you can talk to the people I went to college with. I did the huge program which is hard gainers ultimate growth enhancement two a days day one was torso morning night day two was lower morning night day three was arms morning night repeat on thursday repeat on friday repeat on saturday six days a week of two a days i did that multiple times and thank god i have a really really good uh genetic uh predisposition to handling high volumes and high stress um, I just come from migrant workers and see, it is what it is. Like we have strong backs and we can make it through a lot of stressful situations where not everyone else is like, you know, is fortunate to have that background in terms of strength conditioning. And, you know, that might not have been the same outcome for a lot of my training partners. And I wasn't passing myself off as a trainer in high school and college. People were just wanting to train with me. 
probably a big reason why I wanted to go into strength conditioning and performance training because people had an interest in what I was doing. Probably because it's getting good results, but also too because I was confident about it. Like, all right, this this is this works. You know, I get after it and I'm have really good success. And people are like, oh, that makes sense, and they want to pay you. But on the other end is I wasn't qualified to be able to make that decision because I didn't know the consequence. And when people are dropping like flies, I'm looking at them like, wow, they're just weak-minded. They're just not tough. They don't have what it takes. And that, that becomes this problem when I start to become a, a actual paid trainer. Like if I don't start to recognize that that is something unique to me or maybe I have all the other variables in check, like I'm sleeping and I'm eating plenty and I'm drinking plenty of water and you know I'm, I'm going through a full movement prep every single time that you know this guy's coming off the street or coming over and hung over, like they're going to break down and start getting hurt. And I, I need to have the bandwidth to say that that much volume or that much stress is not something everyone or anyone should handle or probably even in first place handle. Like they'll probably if I go back on a time machine, just simply say, why are you following a magazine workout? Like, you know, that, that that's intended to intended to make you feel like that's the answer. And that's the point is. We're all this very vulnerable, susceptible consumer to anything, right? You know, conferences, books, resources, magazines, social media, that all of it is trying to get our intention and stop what we're doing and listen to them. And younger in our, in our, in our younger part of our career, the early part, the figuring ourselves out, figuring what we want, you know, I call it the why phase. Um, if you've ever read, we start with why it's why we're doing this, but most of the time we focus on what and how we do it. The, the dynamic of getting either really compelling evidence, whether it's anecdotal or just from someone that's just basically exaggerating certain claims like IE John Rockefeller's father, that you can heal all of your ailments with this one magic pill or this one magic potion. You start to believe that with certain people that either are pharmaceutically enhanced or just really polarizing that they just say what they, they say what they do so confidently that you believe it. And then you go do that with your client or athlete. That's a point where your, your intent is good. Your formal training is bad. And what you make is an ignorant decision that turns out bad. Let's say it doesn't turn out bad. Let's say it turns out great. Let's say that you get this super elite level athlete that just can respond to anything you do positively and nothing bad happens, only positive. You get this false sense of confidence. You get a false sense of, okay, now I've just cracked the code. I've gotten the answer. Look at me, right? Like I just put someone on a massive calorically restricted diet and I made them do fasted cardio every morning and I did this body compositional strength training program three days a week and they lost 20 pounds and 6% body fat. And then you're looking at that next person that's not motivated, physiologically a wreck, hormones are out of whack, they're at the highest possible stress, they're immunocompromised, and you do the same structure with them and they crash and burn. They stop coming within three days or they get so much of a response that they actually start to detrain and actually get worse. They get fatter and they become worse in body composition and you're scratching your head going, it's got to be them. This program's the right thing to do, that I'm the one that's in the right here. To be honest, if at the point you don't make a decision to change, 
you're going to fall into now this negligent side of the equation that you know better now because you've seen a 50-50 split. Your sample now is one-to-one of working, not working. You should at least interpret that as this potentially is not the perfect program for everybody. That this cherry-picked thing from a supplemental or nutritional or training program that I thought would work because it worked either anecdotally really well on me or first time with this person that was really just in a perfect spot to do it from a motivation and physiological perspective didn't work with this next person. Now you know that this is not the answer. This is not a universal truth. If the third person you work with, if you choose to do the same thing again and you're just saying, okay, maybe that second one was an anomaly, you're kind of shifting more and more to the negligent side of things. That you potentially know this might not work. And if you don't seek an alternative answer, then you're not doing what's right for that client. You're just prescribing and blindly associating that this random thing that you figured out from this person that was very convincing or gave you the answer in a box wasn't universally true or accepted. And what do you do then? And coming back again to like, if we have more formal training and give a little bit more of the foundational principles of these things are absolutely true, progressive overload, progression, specificity, reversibility, individuality, diminishing returns, those are true, right? Like those are absolutely true. Thermodynamics, calories in, calories out, looking at various things like expenditure for biogenics, so if it's physiology wise, like things that absolutely have to happen and you start to build in this framework of like, that's what's going to be the foundational bedrock of my program. And after that, I'm going to progress into things that based off that person's ability to tolerate that stress or that movement and I'll move forward, but I'm not going to go to sledgehammer hits and 30 foot rope climbs. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through this a lot with the practical, but the idea of like these exercises that just simply don't have as much return on investment, relatively speaking to something else relative to the risk, it kind of eliminates that. It eliminates a lot of that. And I, I know there's probably going to be some listeners here who probably don't have a college degree and don't have a lot of formal training, maybe don't have a lot of money or resources to invest into uh, a lot of courses or or being able to intern or get mentors, you have the uphill battle of trying to do better for the people around you. And that comes from exposing yourself to as much stuff as you possibly can. For instance, this platform that I'm not giving you the answer. I'm giving you a frame, a framework to think I'm giving you a platform to ask better questions. And if you don't walk away from listening to this going, how am I doing on this? Do I not know better and I still do? Or do I know better and still do? And if that doesn't motivate you and encourage you to find the right answers, I'm going to tell you this, you're doing this for the wrong reasons. That we all have to face that, myself included. You know, I constantly face that battle of, is this the right thing to do for that person? And that's the standard. I've been doing this for 18 years and I've worked with thousands of people and I've worked with hundreds of coaches and I'm still at that point where I'm like, man, I, I really want to know if I'm doing the right thing. And anyone who knows me knows that 
if I'm not doing a podcast, or if I'm not co- if I'm not coaching, doing a podcast, spending or most importantly, spending time with my family, I'm reading. I'm reading about how to do this better, and I'm trying to become as well-rounded as humanly possible. You can look at our book list. You can see your book list. It's hundreds of books on there, and I like to think it comes from a pretty pretty diverse collection of things or resources or backgrounds or focal points and what that does is makes me more well-rounded and more honest with okay then there's a lot to this and what I would say on the other end of the Dunning-Kruger effect is I have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge I have a lot of confidence that if I don't know it I'll find it and I'm not unsure with what I'm doing I understand that there's a now a much less absolute definitive outcome. But I also have a lot more confidence in decisions I make based off of I'm way better on the front run of getting more detailed information. That screening and going through the process of learning as much as I possibly can about that person now puts me in the back end of really, really good prescription that I can change rapidly. Like I know what I'm doing with someone in the beginning is really good. And then it's, I keep tracking and I keep screening and I know faster when it's not good. That my original premise that I thought would really be helpful for that person, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, becomes not effective. I am very quick to cut bait and move on to the next thing. That strategy is not working, move on. Doesn't make me lose any confidence with the initial thought. It just makes me more confident with I'm doing more based off this more based off this increased body of knowledge that this exercise wasn't good that this prescription of protocol wasn't good and that's what experience gets you that's what going to college and getting degrees in exercise science and movement science and physiology and biomechanics gets you that's what going to multiple courses gets you that's what getting that's what reading multiple books from multiple different authors that whether you agree with or disagree with that are male or female that give you a perspective of that. And the other side of it too, it gives you the confidence of, I don't know. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've said, I don't know in the past five years. And I never would have said that in the first 15 years of my career. Like, I'm just being honest, man. Like I just, when I don't know something, I just say, I don't know. Like I I do a lot of blood panels with a lot of our coaches and athletes. And I'll be honest, it's from the level of, I'm not trying to write a prescription. I'm just trying to see what the outcome is of some of the programming decisions I make and some of the some of the aspects from nutrition, whether it's calories in, calories out, or macronutrient structure. Like I, I want to see if it's still on the right and see if all of our stuff is still within range. But as soon as it starts getting outside of that scope of something pathology-wise, I don't know. I don't know. All right, it's not my specialty. In terms of movement and biomechanics, like I, I can adjust, I can adjust joint positions. I can adjust loading positions. I can adjust planes and vectors. I can cue it differently. But as soon as they start to say this hurts, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why your your neck hurts. I really don't. I know that certain movements might be bad, so I can't do that. So now I have to do this instead. I can't tell you why you have back pain, but I can tell you that certain exercises that hurt when you do it, we shouldn't do. That's the dynamic that I'm trying to create with this specific module is 
we're all in this spectrum all the time. And the Dunning-Kruger effect, the ignorance, negligence of uh, continuum, wherever we fall on that, you know, it just comes down to, one, we, we're never complete as a coach, so we constantly need to seek more knowledge and insight. We're never, we're never going to be walk away from a program going, that's the answer, or I'm an idiot, I know nothing. It's this constant evaluation of I can do better, what do I, what am I deficient in or what do I, do, what do I not know and how can I find that and how can I improve upon that and move forward? So when we get to the point where we evaluate and debrief on a program, we can, we can say that was the best I could have done in that given time based off my body and knowledge and my understanding of the parameters. And now I know this, so I'm going to make a more informed or well-educated decision going forward. I'm a little less ignorant. And I'm, I'm avoiding being negligent. So I hope that one makes sense, guys. Uh, this is, get on the module. I got, I mean, hopefully, like, the graphics is screaming out, like, you know, not knowing and doing is is ignorant. Knowing and doing is negligence. And the graphics will show that. Um, Dunning-Kruger effect, um, a graph in there as well. Uh, and I just, you know, as a whole, like, the, the module definitely helps with this. So if you guys can get on PH Podcast Curriculum, and we do have a promo, ten dollars off if you put the def, if you put strength deficit into the into uh, the code off, off your first month. Um, I think it'll be a really big value add for you guys. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys. I hope this is helping. I hope you guys are becoming better coaches, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.